Thanks for joining us today for the Post-Traumatic Faith Podcast, a place where trauma, hardship, and challenge meet faith and hope for the future. Here is your host, Jill Riley. Welcome to Post-Traumatic Faith. Season 3 has arrived. I am so excited to share with you this season new guests, new topics, and some great conversations. So tune in every week on Fridays. We will have a new episode. Also this season, we will celebrate our 100th episode. So stay tuned for that. Just happens to fall on my birthday, October 28th. So we will have a big celebration. Thank you so much for joining us. And here's today's guest. Welcome to Post Traumatic Faith. This is Jill Riley, and today I'm pleased to be joined with Fuchina Kirkendall. Hi, Fuchina. How are you? I am awesome. How are you today? Good. It is awesome to have you here. Let me tell you a little bit about Fuchina. She's a certified coach practitioner, a motivational speaker, mother of two, grandmother of one, and the CEO of Chronicles of a Favored Woman from Duluth, Georgia. So, what is Georgia like in the spring? Uh, pollen. So, uh, it's murder on my son's uh, allergies, but we're getting ready for, we're known as Hotlanta. So it's, we're seeing, we're seeing that it's going to be a very hot summer this summer, but it's all, it's nice. It's busy and it's nice. (laughs) That's great. That's great. So how long have you lived there? Actually, this, uh, May, May 10 years. Okay. That I moved to Atlanta from Charleston, South Carolina. So, yes. and where were you raised at? I was raised in Charleston, South Carolina. Uh, actually, two counties, Berkeley and Charleston County. But yes, Charleston, South Carolina, the beach. Okay. Which I- <laughs> oh yes, I'm sure you missed the beach. I was raised. I was raised near a beach too, and then I moved inland where I live now, and I'm like, where's the water? <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I went through a culture shock when I first moved to it, Atlanta. So <laughs> it is. So you're the grandmother of one, huh? Yes. Yeah, so my six-year-old uh, granddaughter, Nora. Yeah, she's in New York. As a matter of fact, mm-hmm. isn't that so fun? We have our first grandchild now, and it's so fun. Yes, it is. It is. Although you don't look old enough to have a grandchild. That's what I'm thinking as I'm looking at your yeah, video. Thank God for grace and the genetics. <laughs> <laughs> yes, very much so. So tell me a little bit about uh, your childhood growing up in Charleston. Okay, so between Charleston and Berkeley County, uh, where my childhood was done, I'll have to go back to Berkeley County because that's where uh when my mother moved us from New Jersey to South Carolina and to live with my grandparents until she got back to raise us on her own. But um, I would say that I can't say besides the abuse, uh, I can't, I had a very loving family. We are, they were definitely old school, gold traditions, you know, children are seen and not heard. Mm-hmm. Uh, whatever happens in this house stays in this house. Um, but I have love. I will have to say that, you know, I have love in the way they knew to give it mm-hmm. They're the way they do to give it. So I, I really can't fuss. You know, it is what it is. Yeah. So you were raised partially with your grandparents then? Uh, actually, the majority of my grand uh, my grandparents, um, when my mother moved down and we lived in my brothers and I lived in Pineville, um, we was there for a few years and then my mother came and relocated back to South Carolina 
And we left to go with her for like seven years um, to Charleston. And when she decided to relocate again to Columbia, I just, I just, I'm, I'm used to structure and familiarity. So I went back to where my grandmother was and I ended up living the rest of my years uh, with my grandmother. So she's raising my whole life. Mm -hmm. And are your brothers older or younger? No, all of my brothers are younger. I have four of them. I lost one of them two years ago, um, but all of them are younger than I am. I'm the oldest and the only girl. The oldest and the only girl. Wow. Yeah. Did they did they say you were spoiled because you were the only girl? Yeah, that's what they say. I say I'm just blessed. Don't be, don't hit me. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that's right. So you mentioned being abused. Um, can you tell me a little bit more about that part of your story, if you don't mind? No, I don't mind at all. Um, I'm a survivor of childhood sexual abuse. It happened between the age of kindergarten to third grade, because that's when my mother took us, um, relocated us. Um, I don't know what to say about that, with the exception of being a child. And when you're violated by someone that was supposed to protect you and then they violate you, it just puts you in a whole new different world of topsy turvy. You don't know what your boundaries are. You don't know who you are, who you belong to who's actually loyal to you, who's actually right. going to protect you. And then you have to sit in silence because according to how I grew up, the adults were always right and the children was always wrong. That's right. So I, I kept it in, I had to keep it in silence. And then I remember um, one day my molester had me in the house and his mother walked in on us and I froze like, I don't know what. And, um, what probably was five minutes was like an eternity for me. And I ended up, she started getting on him and I just ran out the house. I never told anyone. And I just kept that secret for a long time, a very, very long time until my senior year in high school. Wow. So we know that um, abuse of children uh, affects their, their, uh, development and their social emotional development how do you think that that abuse formed you in some ways well uh, in many ways effective uh, executive skills i would say it affected me the most in that way it affected me because i had a self identity problem i you know i had no self esteem for myself. It affected me in so many different ways and it affected my learning because I ended up with a learning disability mm-hmm. um, in the end. So it's, you know, abuse can affect, a traumatic experience can affect people in different ways. For me, it was socially, emotionally. Uh, it wasn't physically anymore once I was out of that situation, but it, then it led to other things, which I'm sure I don't want to talk ahead of myself, but it, led, it leads to other things. So, right. Right. Well, um, I just, uh, I'm just wondering what, um, as a high schooler, what compelled you to start to tell your story then? Well, I didn't tell my story then. I actually told, I was, I have to hold my secret and Mm. I met my senior high school boyfriend and He was, I knew without a shadow of a doubt that he really cared for me and he loved me and he would protect me to the end. And I don't know what made me 
tell it, but I was comfortable enough to tell it because I didn't trust anyone in that, especially my including my family. But I don't know the exact moment. I just remember just bawling, just bawling. And I finally told him what was going on. And it felt like an elephant off my chest. He was the first person I knew that cared for me and loved me. And I knew that I would be protected by telling him my secret. It was just, I was just happy at that moment in my life. I was finally able to tell somebody what happened to me. It just feels like it lets off the pressure valve a little bit, doesn't it? Oh, it's like a pressure cooker. Yes. Absolutely. You know, it's funny that you say that. Um, My high school boyfriend is the first one that I ever told about about my abuse. And it was the same thing. I knew that he genuinely cared for me Mm -hmm. and felt like he could be he could be trustworthy and and where my environment and other people around me didn't feel like they had earned my trust. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's very true. And I tell people, pay attention as parents. We have to pay attention to our children. When children deviate to what you know is a norm, there's a reason for everything. And right. parents, adults are not always right. Kids will find a way to, to communicate that to you, but in their own way, you have to be able to be attentive. To right. It. Are there ways that you, looking back on yourself now, um, are there ways that you feel like as a child, as a young adult, you tried to communicate that you were hurting? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, many of that. I remember uh, my abuser. He was back in the day. You had like one telephone line for like eight houses, so you could right. hear everyone's telephone call. And I remember him being on the phone with a female, and I got jealous, and I acted out in a certain. It was a disrespectful way. Well, he came over to the house, and he told my grandmother how disrespectful I was. And I felt like, oh man, that's my opportunity. I could tell her why. And instead of asking, she just slapped the tar out my face because I disrespected an adult. And that's all she saw it as. And at that moment for me, it shut me down and put me in the shell. And I knew that I couldn't trust anybody else because no one would be there to protect me. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then I, I started lashing out. I started lashing out. I was very, my tongue was very sharp. So it was my defense mechanism to keep people out of my circle. If I keep them away from my circle, I won't have to worry about being violated again. Right. And it feels like in some senses, it feels like you kind of gain some control if you're able mm-hmm. to push people out because then you yes. can protect who's in and who's out. Right. That's right. Exactly. Exactly. So what people saw as me being protective of myself, they saw me as being either a smart mouth, um, she's a little fresh girl or whatever. I was always perceived as something totally opposite when all I was doing was screaming for help. Yeah. Yeah. And you're right. We need to pay attention to our children. And when they do deviate from from norms and say, you know, what is that caused from? Why is that what happened? Mm-hmm. Um, and really be sensitive to them because children, children can tell, but they often tell not with their words. Right. That's right. They will show in their actions. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, as you got older, you began to struggle with some addictions. I did pain and sex. Yeah, I did. It was to a point where I felt like I didn't have any self-esteem. So I felt like I just got whatever I got. I didn't have a self-identity. So I became this person this time, this person that time, whatever people labeled me as, that's what I became. Right. And 
sex was like, a, it's just like alcohol. People use alcohol to numb their pain. Mine was sex because I got introduced at an early age. So that's all I knew. I equated love, sex for love. when that was quite, you know, definitely not it. But then it got to a point where it, it became a fix for me. And so right. for me, it was just, I, it didn't matter. I just, as long as I got my fix, I could care less about anybody else's feelings, but mine. Well, and here's something that people don't understand about process addictions, like sex, gambling, those kinds Mm -hmm. of things is that because they're part of your internal processing and not Mm -hmm. an external thing that you can get rid of, it Mm -hmm. is so hard, so difficult to beat because it's in you. It's not like an, 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 element that you can push away like drugs or alcohol, right? Mm -hmm. It is. And, you know, it's funny because as I gotten older and I got closer to God, you know, I knew that I wanted to serve him. I also knew that he had something in store for me. I just didn't know what it was. He gave me the vision. He gave me this, but I still struggled with the, the addiction. And then I would go back and forth like, okay, Lord, I'm sorry. I mean, I tried, I tried, you know, every time I try to go celibate and stuff, uh, with abstinence, And then, uh, you know, I would be so full with the spirit and so full with the joy of the Lord. And then as soon as a memory triggered something, all Haiti broke loose in place. And then I started questioning myself, like, wait a minute, I thought the church was supposed to save you. And we had this misconception when it's not supposed to save you and you're just supposed to do that yourself. And finally, I got to the point where I was doing stupid things because of my addiction. And when I, it was like one point I was like, you know what, if, if it's causing me to make this decisions like this, I got to be done with it. Cause now I realize I don't like anything having control over me. Right. So I just do it, stopped at cold Turkey, cold Turkey. And wow. that was a, that was a process. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that you said you were, addic- you were addicted to pain also. Yes. So I felt like, you know, I wasn't functioning unless I was experiencing some type of pain, whether it's rejection, whether it was abandonment, whether it's something. So if something didn't work out or even sabotaging when someone tried to get close to me or try to show me love, it felt foreign to me because I wasn't used to someone actually caring for me like I deserve it because I was so used to being treated badly. Right. Right. Well, you know, there, when you're trying to anesthetize yourself, trying to numb yourself from all of the pain, um, having pain in your life is almost like pinching yourself to say, I'm, I'm, I'm real. Like there's something going on here. I'm awake. I'm alive inside. Right. Mm-hmm. It, it really is. It really. Is. And, you know, people get, like I said, when you become addicted to it, it's because you, that's all you know. All you know is the rejection. All you know is the pain. So when you get something outside of it and someone's trying to give that to you, or you even trying to become like that, it's like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. This is not natural. This is not natural. I need to go back to my comfort state. Right. And my comfort state is pain. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, and when your default is set that way, it just takes an act of God, literally, um, yeah. to to restore, uh, you know, the factory defaults, what you were supposed to be born with, which mm-hmm. is, you know, this sense of sense of worth, the sense of self mm-hmm. and sense of identity and all of those things. But, um, but yeah, they get, they, it gets destroyed, doesn't it? In the process of very abuse. Much, very much so. Very much so. Um, it was yeah. a process to get to this point where I was, but I did it through God's grace. 
How do you think um, guilt and shame uh, form people in their mind if they're carrying those burdens of guilt and shame? How does it affect people? Uh, you know, they say the battlefield is in the mind. Mm-hmm. And if you're not careful, you'll let, I call them the little people, and your brain um, keep you convinced that you're not worthy. You're not this, you're not that. And that goes that, and that ties into what people on the outside is telling you um, as well. So you start absorbing that stuff in because if you don't know your self-worth or you don't understand your self-worth, then it'll take you down a spiral you don't need to go down until you learn who you are and whose you are. Absolutely. You have to deal with it. And once you get into the power of your voice, as one of my principles says, once you start utilizing and understanding the power of your voice and start uh, speaking up and speaking out, it starts with one spark. That's it. That's right. Yeah. Once you do it. And, And once you learn that, like get that deep down. I always tell people change is never comfortable. But sometimes you have to do things that are uncomfortable until it becomes comfortable in your life. And I knew that I wanted a change. I knew that it was going to be a struggle. I knew, but I knew if I held on to God and I kept trusting in him and holding on to his hands, I will not stay in this situation forever. I just have to be consistent because consistency is the key to breakthrough. That's right. And, you know, it's, you're really, you're really hitting on something there that um, when you are unfamiliar with the feeling of, or emotion or a state of being or any of those things, and you try to step into that, it just feels so foreign. It feels like something doesn't fit just right until, until you live in that space long enough to make it familiar, to make it home. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's going to come from, I don't want people to think that's just so easy. No, you're going to fall. You're going to get up. You're going to fall. You're going to get up. You're going to fall. And then eventually you're going to get tired of falling. Yep. And that's when you get sick and tired of being sick and tired. That's when change will come. That's right. Were you raised in a family that had faith at its core? Yes, I was okay. raised. Um, mm-hmm. So at what point did you decide to start following after your faith and start and start pursuing God on your own as a as your own person, not resting on your family's faith? Um, that was in my teenage teenage years. I knew about God all before. Now I kind of played with it. You know, we were young and dumb. Um, but as yeah. I got older. You know, when I got in college, I, I believe that's what it was. Even though I had my Bible there, the only time I would open my Bible, because I had the old King James Version, I was like, I don't understand these words. So when I would go to church and I would hear a sermon, and I would hear the scripture, then I would be able to understand, oh, okay, that's what that means. And then as I got older and older, I started, I collect Bibles. So I started looking at different versions. And I was like, okay, this is, you know, you know, so I will use, you know, Bibles, I will use like videos, I will use sermons, whatever I did, because I knew that God had something for me. I just didn't know know it or how it was going to happen. I just knew as a kid, I always said, my cousin just reminded me of this today. You always said, you know, all you want to do is help people. Because I knew how I was when I was alone. I knew how I was when I was in silence. I knew how I was that I suffered so much. And I wanted people to know you don't have to suffer in silence, silence no more. And I, as a result of all that I've gone through, 
has brought me to this point now where Chronicles was created. So I'm just here, like I said, as a vessel. I'm very transparent. So people talk to me. I say I'm a fishbowl. I don't need anybody to tell my story because I can tell my own story. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's right. That's good. So what is Chronicles of a Favored Woman? Well, it started off for my testimony. Um, once touched, now redeemed. And I just knew that people were out there. As I started sharing my story, especially when I joined my uh, my church in Charleston, I realized, and, and my, never forget my deacon said, Chino, you just had this anger and stuff in your voice. I just wanted to hug you. And I was angry because I'm in church and y'all, you all don't want to deal with this. You know, we have to have an outlet, you know, for those who've been abused. And even in the church, you know, we have to Absolutely. have a resource. So I was like, we need to create a platform or something. And that's where it started. Um, whew, how many years ago? 2008 is when it started. That's when I got that seed was planted in me. And then I decided I need to do something with it. But I, I put it away. And uh, after that, I saw Blog Talk Radio and I found out about that. So I created the account. In 2012, I put it away. I said, I didn't do anything about it. And then I remember one night, three years ago, I believe, um, I was watching Steve Harvey at night. And I never watched him at night. But for some reason, I was drawn to it. And I remember Tyra Beck's going on there saying that she did something in her career that she never did. And as a result, what she did, long story short, is she um, held her breath, stepped out on faith, and stepped out on faith. And I was, God was already dealing with me about setting a date. It was time to talk. And I was like, I'm not ready for this. But when I heard her story about just doing it afraid, I was like, you know what? I'm setting a date. And Mm. I knew when I set that date, I couldn't go back on it. August 11, 2019. And so now I was like, what is the first show I'm going to do? And then my girlfriend, she had to speak. And she said, I'm, my session will be 15 Reasons Why I Didn't Want to Speak. I said, that's going to be the name of the first show. <laughs> 15 <laughs> Reasons Why I Was Not, I Didn't Want to Do the Show. And she was my, she uh, came on the show with me because she's my editor now. So I, if I can tell anybody anything, everything is a storm and all storms come to an end, whether you want to believe it or not. And yep. you have to go through the process. The process is not easy. It's not designed to be easy because if it was easy and everybody be able to do it. But it's necessary. We can't walk around our blessings. We can't walk over our blessings. We can't walk beside our blessings. We have to walk in our blessing and through them. And you have to go through that process. There's no way out of the process. You have to go through it because just like diamonds are formed when it is pressured. Mm hmm. You know, I, I there was a speaker many years ago that I heard who said that our challenges and our struggles and our obstacles can either define us or they can refine us. And I, mm-hmm. I have that is always stuck in my head as, a, you know, just Lord, refine me. Um, just don't let my definition be the things that have happened to me. My definition mm-hmm. is that that's not who my person is. That's not who my soul is. Right. Those are things that have happened. So is this a podcast? or is it a tv show i'm sorry i got off the book yes it is a podcast it's okay. a radio internet radio show and i also broadcast live on facebook um, okay chronicles of a favorite woman so you can look up on facebook and um i come on every sunday um at 9 30 p.m eastern standard time 
And the whole purpose of that is to give everyone a platform to share their story because everyone has a story. That's right. That's right. Everyone has a story. And, you know, it's interesting to me how when I share my story with people, how they'll, they'll kind of, um, pull into themselves and say, well, you know, my story isn't as harsh as that one, but you know, I've had struggles too. You know, pain is pain. It's all relative. It doesn't matter if it's as dramatic of a story as yours and mine. It means we still have a story and we still have challenges and opportunities to overcome. And that becomes our story. And so I think, I think people measure, sometimes we measure each other's pain and say, oh, that's, that's a worse pain than mine. No, no, no. Pain is pain is pain, right? Yeah, but just remember that your story is designed not for you, but to help someone else. Mm. That's good. Someone else may go be going, you know, I went through something, you went through something, but everyone, God has people designed to hear our stories because he's trying to help them. And we're the proof that if he could help us get through, he'll help them get through. Ooh, that's good. That's good. That's right. Um, so how do you think that people can advocate for children who might be in abusive situations? What are things that, you know, measurable steps that we can take to advocate for children? Um, I would say first be attentive. Um, mm-hmm. Listen to cold words because I always tell my kids, no, there's no such thing as a pocketbook or there's no, no, you have a, you have a penis. I have a vagina. Uh, you have to be real and understand that everybody understands those code words. You know, I learned that in a, uh, a class called From Darkness to Light, very phenomenal program. Um, I did some training there. Uh, so I would say, don't keep quiet about it. If And open up a window, open up a comfortable environment for them to want to talk to you without feeling judged mm-hmm. or criticized or ridiculed. So creating that environment is going to be very important, which is really important because children take the blame upon themselves so they can control the situation. That's their only way of controlling it is by controlling how they see it. And Mm -hmm. so they take the blame upon themselves. Right. Mm -hmm. Very much so. Very much so. And those children become who become abused adults. Yes. With yes. unresolved issues. So talk to, to me about, about mm-hmm. being a coach. What is, what is that? Um, how does that work in your life? What do you do? Actually, what I do is I just connect with those who desire to uh, be healed, who desire to move towards that negative and going towards the wants to desire positivity in their life. So it's just a matter of just identifying I'm not here to tell you anything. I'm here to help you realize your potential. So how do people get a hold of you or listen in to you? How do they find out more about you, Fuchina? Well, a couple of ways. You can go to my Facebook page, Fuchina Kirkendall, and that's spelled F as in Frank, O-U-C-H-I-N-A. And my last name is Kirkendall, K-I-R-K-E-N-D-O-L-L. That's my Facebook page. Always DM me, you know, tell me, hey, I saw you on the Jim Raleigh. Uh, that's fine. That's all I really need. You could actually go to my uh, Chronicles page on Facebook, which is Chronicles 
of a favored woman. In fact, that'll probably be the best way to get in contact with me. You can DM me on that particular page and just tell me, introduce yourself. And if you have a story, I'm always interested in hearing people's story. And there's no story too big, too small. It's your right. story. It is that's your right. story. Yes. Well, and I also have an email address and that's uh, Fuchina K at Chronicles of a and then fw. Okay, great. Well, we will put those in our show notes. Um, and so people can people can get a hold of you. I just thank you for sharing, um, sharing your journey a little bit with us today and telling us a little bit about, about what God has done in your life and who you have become and, and how you're able to give back to others. So thank you so much. Thank you so much. I appreciate you um, the invite and accepting it. <laughs> yeah, no, that's Thank great. You. You're, doing an awesome, you're doing an awesome job. So please keep doing what you're doing. Thank you. If you enjoyed this episode, we would love it if you would leave a review on your favorite podcast platform. You can find Jill at JillRiley.com, on Facebook at JillRiley.author, Twitter at JillRileyAuthor, and Instagram at JillRiley.author. Also, feel free to send Jill an email at Jill at JillRiley.org. Thanks for listening in and have a great day.